This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour. Leaders speak on taking care of our veterans and on the mission of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. For almost 20 years, the Business of Government Hour has brought you leading government executives who are changing the way government does business. Each week, our guests join us for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation about their careers, their agencies, agency accomplishments, as well as their vision of government in the 21st century. The leaders are responsible for envisioning, shaping, and safeguarding the future, creating clarity amidst uncertainty. This is no small feat, and it is made increasingly difficult in the 21st century, where rapid, unforeseen change seems to be the only constant. Today, two leaders I've had the pleasure of interviewing share with you VA's core mission, the successes and challenges of meeting this mission. First up on Leaders Speak, Taking Care of Our Veterans, Dr. David Shulkin, the Secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Shulkin when he was leading the Veterans Health Administration, VHA. He made a significant impact on VHA in a short time, but now he's charged with leading the entire department, the second largest federal civil department with over 300,000 employees and a budget of close to $80 billion. Dr. Shulkin explains the goals he sought and the challenges he faced while running the Veterans Health Administration. Change may take patience, but it requires resolve. It took a year to vet me and to get my confirmation uh, first uh, vetted so that the president nominated me and then secondly to get confirmation from the U.S. Senate. So I had a long period of time in which to think about what I would do coming into the organization. The first is is to fix the access issues in healthcare, the real crisis that led towards um, where VA faced itself when I came into the organization, making sure it could provide uh, good access for veterans who needed its help. The second is to focus on the employees and to make sure that they felt passionate about the work they were doing and they had the tools that they needed. And this uh, was a big challenge and still remains a challenge for me in finding the right leaders to step up and to lead my healthcare organizations around the country. The third was to transform VA from being separate VA medical centers to actually acting as a integrated enterprise across the country where we take best practices from one VA and make sure that they're spread throughout the country. The fourth was to work with our community providers, those that are academic affiliates and those who help us by providing care in the community to form a integrated network with VA, what I call a high-performance network, 
where we can begin to start having seamless transitions of care between VA and the community. And the last and most important is really what I call our currency. Since we don't operate with a stock price and we don't operate by financial gains, our currency is really the trust of those that we serve, of the veterans. And clearly, in the wait time crisis that happened in April 2014, we lost a lot of confidence and trust. And so it's really my objective to build that trust back up with our veterans. Confidence and trust in VA has been attenuating for years. But Dr. Shulkin made it his objective to build the trust back with veterans. Sure, doing that takes an ambitious vision and a focused approach. But most of all, it involves putting veterans first. Well, one of the ways that I collect information about how to make the right strategic decisions is by actually listening to our veterans. And we are very fortunate in that we have organized groups of veterans. Many of them belong to what we call veteran services organizations. People know them as the American Legion, Veterans of Foreign War, Vietnam Veterans of America, Paralyzed Veterans of America, for example, where we are in regular contact with them and the veterans that they serve about whether we are addressing their needs and whether our ideas are good ones to pursue. And so the underlying concept on how we're making these changes is really to be veteran-centric, not government-centric, not healthcare-centric, but veteran-centric. And to drive an organization that is meeting their needs is really what we've launched an initiative called My VA, because we want every veteran to feel this is their VA. And in order for us to be able to meet their needs, we have to be listening to them. Listening to veterans is key to reforming the VA, but Congress also established a commission on care to examine veterans' access to healthcare to also figure out how best to strategically organize the VHA, locate health sources, and deliver health care to veterans over the next 20 years. In my last conversation with Dr. Shulkin, he explains this effort and the insights gleaned. Yeah, the Commission on Care was uh, set up by Congress and, and the president to provide recommendations on where the VA healthcare system should go in the future. It was actually uh, composed of uh, a number of leading healthcare executives um, and composed of people who understand the VA organization and it focused specifically on the healthcare uh, mission of the organization. It was a very um, well-debated commission in that you heard all sorts of perspectives, people who felt that maybe the VA should be vouchered out and people that felt that that was the wrong decision. In the end, the commission reached a consensus and it said that the VA healthcare organization is absolutely necessary for veterans and for America, that the VA system needed to be kept intact and strong, but that the VA needed to make some transformational changes in the way that it operates. And it gave 18 recommendations. Uh, 15 of those 18, the VA feels are absolutely the correct recommendations and actually have already begun initiatives and efforts to undertake them. Some of them are longer term and will take a while to accomplish, but we we are absolutely supportive of these recommendations and think that the commission did a very good job of uh, defining what's going to be required for the success of the VA. According to Dr. Shulkin, the commission did a very good job of defining what it's going to take for VA to be successful. Most of these efforts require a committed and highly skilled workforce. So what is being done to promote a positive culture of service throughout the VA enterprise? Here's Dr. Shulkin. We already have a workforce that is a very committed workforce to this mission. So 
This is not uh, something that we have to rebuild. It's something that we have to reinforce and, uh, frankly, is motivating when we do reinforce that for those who have chosen to come to the VA. We've launched a program called Leaders Developing Leaders. This is where we're taking our leadership off-site, spending the time personally with them, personally training these top leaders, and recommitting to the mission, and then having them cascade this leadership training down to the people who work in their organizations. We've now trained over 90,000 people in our organization with a commitment to value-based leadership and principle-based leadership. Traditionally, the VA, like many government organizations, has been rules-based. And uh, uh, we don't believe that there are many high-performing organizations that are rules-based. High-performing organizations tend to have principles and values and adhere to that and allow their leaders to lead in the way that supports those principles and values. And that's what we're putting in place and training people in that way of managing. The focus on change is a consistent theme that runs throughout my conversation with Dr. David Shulkin when he was VA Undersecretary for Health. Moreover, no other health system is better positioned than VA to realize a more contemporary approach to healthcare service. How is VA promoting a transformation from a model of providing sick care to a real health and care model? Dr. Shulkin elaborates. Well, prior to coming to VA, I was involved in developing and launching an accountable care organization, one of actually the largest in the country. When I came to VA, what I realized is it is the largest accountable care organization in the country. It actually has a commitment once you leave the service till the rest of your life. And actually beyond that, that's why we have a national cemetery service. And so uh, we have everything that it requires to be able to provide the full scope of services that population-based health organizations and accountable care organizations do. And of course, a large focus of that is to do prevention and uh, to provide what I've described before as this holistic approach towards healthcare, that many of the determinants of well-being and health uh, relate not only to what we call physical health, but the economic and social and psychological health. And so so we are really uh, focused heavily and have been for some time on prevention, on team-based approaches to care, on home health care, on uh, caregiver support, on many of the things that you're not seeing as well distributed in the private sector because they don't have the same financial uh, incentives that we do. Our only financial incentive is to do what's right for veterans, and that allows us a lot more freedom to develop what I do believe is really uh, the uh, gold standard of population health, and that, that occurs today in the VA healthcare system. How do you lead a department with such an important mission as VA? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour, Leaders Speak, Taking Care of Our Veterans, returns. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Next week, listen for a special edition of The Business of Government magazine, a year in review with host Michael Keegan as he explores key trends in government management and highlights insights from a host of government executives, 
for changing the way government does business. That's next week on a special New Year's edition of the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, Leaders Speak on Taking Care of Our Veterans. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. Dr. Shulkin came to VA to lead its healthcare system. Now he leads the entire department. Here's some insight into his leadership approach. One of the cultural challenges of VA uh, and one of the realities that we face being in a crisis is that um, VA had to change the way it was doing business. And one of uh, the attributes that I bring, of course, is, is that I'm coming from the private sector. So many of the ways that, B- that VA had been doing business, uh, I had the opportunity to take a fresh look at it with a set of new eyes. And so um, part of the leadership lesson that I've been bringing is, is that um, what's happening within government, what's happening in the VA is actually not that different than what's happening in the private sector. And what I remind people is if there's a hospital CEO who's not completely reevaluating their business model and looking at doing things differently, they're not going to be in their jobs long. And we in government have to think about it the same way. So we have to be looking at the private sector and seeing what practices and changes they're making and then bring that into VA. It may be translated slightly different than if you were in the private sector, but ultimately changing to be more accountable for outcomes and results is something that is uh, you know, a seamless uh, fit between whether you're in government or out in the private sector. Leadership is multifaceted. Uh, I've had the great fortune of being able to work under many great leaders. And I like to think that I've picked the things that I've liked and disliked about each of those leaders and tried to bring them into my own style. But the essence of leadership, I think, is being able to set priorities and a clear vision. And then ultimately to be able to communicate it clearly. So uh, it's very difficult to be a strong, good leader if you're not a good communicator. And the more complex an organization, sometimes it requires the ability to prioritize more and to narrow the message to really be able to get a co- to connect with your frontline people. So that's the, that's the essence of leadership. It, of course, assumes that you have good judgment, that you have the ability to see both near-term and far-term, to set short-term courses and long-term strategic direction. And it assumes that you understand the business that you're in. But once you do that, I think what really differentiates leaders is their ability to prioritize and communicate. For Dr. Shulkin, a leader's ability to prioritize and communicate are essential. But leading can also be fraught with unanticipated or unexpected surprises. So what has surprised Dr. Shulkin the most? Well, I I think what has surprised me most is actually how much of the system really works well um, the passion and commitment of our employees and staff. Uh, many people have an impression of government workers going home at five o'clock and just uh, you know putting in minimal effort. There's nothing further from the truth. These are some of the most dedicated and committed professionals that I've ever had the chance to work with in my career. So that was one of the pleasant surprises. I think the uh, complexity of the organization and our interface with uh, the requirement to get 
so many legislative changes to get things done was somewhat of a surprise. Um, I think that we've been fortunate in that we've had the support of both our House and Senate leaders in doing what's right for veterans. But as everybody can see, it's a challenge for for the legislative branch to get things passed through Congress as well. So it's been uh, slower than I'd hoped. I know that many people share that. Uh, I think that we're headed in the right direction. I'm pleased with the proposals that we've made, but I'd certainly like to see us move uh, these changes quicker through Congress. At the time, Dr. Shulkin recognized that the success of any of these proposals would require a singular focus, but most of all collaboration. He can't do it alone. Well, I think uh, the recognition of going through the crisis that VA has gone through, uh, again, starting in April of 2014, was essentially a recognition that the responsibility to care for the country's veterans was not VA's alone. And VA can't do it alone. And so it needs to work with those out in the community uh, to partner in strategic ways to be able to meet the needs of veterans. And the example of suicide, I think, is a clear example. The fact that the majority of veterans who are taking their own lives aren't in the VA system. We need to partner with others to reach out to them to get the care that they need. So VA, it's what I call the new VA, has uh, taken this recognition, we can't do it alone, out to the country and said to every major corporation, every major organization, if they have a willingness, an idea, some way that they can help us fulfill our mission to take care of the country's veterans, we want to be working with them. And so we've announced literally hundreds of partnerships around the country uh, to cement relationships that help us advance healthcare together to serve the country's veterans. And so um, uh, lots of examples of leading companies. Uh, um, we have them with Google. We have them with IBM. We have them with the Elks uh, Club. We have them, you know, with Home Depot. So, uh, you know, I don't want to leave out important groups, of course. But, but, uh, but, but, but this is a new VA where, where uh, we are uh, willing to entertain ideas that make sense as long as they make sense for veterans and taxpayers. When I last spoke to Dr. Shulkin, he was VA Undersecretary for Health. We discussed many of the efforts he was pursuing to reform the way VA delivers health and provides care. The Veterans Integrated Systems Technology Architecture, or VISTA, VA's electronic health record, has robust capabilities, especially in clinical applications. Dr. Shulkin explained the VISTA Evolution Project, highlighting some of the accomplishments to date and what's next. The VISTA Evolution product, uh, Project is uh, trying to take our current state of where our electronic medical record is and transforming it into a system that is better prepared to meet the needs in the future. And so when we developed our electronic medical record called VISTA, we actually have 130 different versions of VISTA. So every one of our medical center regions has customized it to meet their local needs. When I talked about one of my priorities was to get VA to function as a single integrated enterprise, this is a good example. Uh, in our electronic medical record, we have functioned in 130 different silos. And that has limited our ability to meet the future needs of veterans because where healthcare is going today is it's using its data and allowing us to do analytics and to do practice changes 
in a single platform. So Vista Evolution is allowing us to take those 130 versions and convert it into a single version of Vista to allow us to meet the future needs of healthcare. We also discuss progress around that seemingly intractable issue of interoperability. VA and DOD share millions of health records between systems today. Having the veterans complete health record from both VA and DOD, as well as the community providers, is critical to providing seamless, high-quality access to care and benefits. Well, in April of 2016, both DOD and VA certified that we have achieved interoperability. So, definitionally, we have met interoperability. We have done that through what you've referred to as the joint legacy viewer, which means that if a veteran comes to us in VA or somebody is at DOD, we have the ability to view each other's records through a joint viewer. And so we can get access, and we're doing it, as you mentioned, uh, hundreds of thousands of times a year, accessing these records so that we know what treatments have been done in each organization. But these are read-only functions. And so they are not really the full true interoperability that one may imagine, which would be a seamless flow of information uh, beyond uh, only information gathering read-only. And so in order to do that, we still have additional work to do. I think it is one of the frustrations uh, of many, uh, I hear it mostly from members of Congress who have said, look, you know, you're treating the same population of patients. We know where our future population of patients are coming from. They're coming from DOD. Uh, why, why haven't you guys done this better? And I think that's an appropriate challenge for both the VA and the leaders of DOD to, in the future, figure out ways, particularly as uh, healthcare gets more advanced and analytics get more advanced, uh, for us to expand on our definition of interoperability. So while we celebrate the achievements that we've made to date, I think we still have more work to do. Admittedly, interoperability isn't the only area where work needs to be done. Long deployments, intense combat conditions require comprehensive support for the emotional and mental health needs of our veterans and their families. Dr. Shulkin shared with me VA's effort in this area, all the while recognizing that more needs to be done. Well, there is no other system in the country that has extensive uh, behavioral health care services like the VA. We provided health care to 1.6 million veterans last year in behavioral health. We have um, uh, extensive numbers of psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, suicide prevention coordinators, all dedicated to the behavioral health of our veterans, and we integrate behavioral health into our primary care settings unlike any other healthcare system in the country so that you don't have to have the stigma of going to a mental health clinic. You can get your mental health services as part of your primary care, and we delivered over one million visits in uh, primary care mental health integration last year. We also provided 336,000 visits of mental health using telehealth services. So you can get access to uh, qualified professionals to help, even if uh, there aren't local healthcare professionals in your community. So VA is using these unique models of healthcare to help veterans in behavioral health. Having said that, um, we still have far too many people who are going untreated. Of the 20 veterans a day that take their life through suicide, which is a just an alarming figure, something that we're just not uh, willing or able to accept, and we're treating it as a national crisis, uh, of those 20 veterans a day, 
14 of them don't get their care in the VA healthcare system, which means that they may be out there isolated, not getting the care that they need. And so we're working hard with community organizations and uh, national groups to try to identify veterans at risk and get them the help that they need in the VA healthcare system because we know that that saves lives. Saving lives is a core mission for VA and expanding the use of data analytics to enhance clinical decision-making efforts goes a long way to achieving that core mission in a 21st century context. That is, data and analytics to improve health outcomes. Well, uh, this is an area that I think that VA has been working on quite some time, and as the field gets more advanced, uh, VA's leadership in this will become clearer. We have uh, a 30-year history of electronic information, and so our databases are quite extensive. And we have been working with analytics to use it to help veterans get better health care. We were just talking earlier about suicide. So one of the tools that we're taking from our research lab into practice this month is what we call ReachVet. It is a analytics tool that helps identify veterans at risk of suicide and we are proactively reaching out to those veterans and contacting them and saying, how can we help? How are you doing? You know, would you like to come in? Are there resources that we might have that could help you? And so that's an example of how we're using analytics, bring it into the clinical setting and hopefully helping save lives. We're actually partnering with IBM Watson to identify uh, veterans specific genomic sequencing and help target the right therapies to veterans so that they can get the very best possible therapy for their specific tumor. And this is a way that VA not only is using its analytic capabilities, but leveraging with the best technology and the best companies out there to help veterans get better outcomes. Another way VA is pursuing better health outcomes involves advances in genomic medicine and specifically the application of precision medicine. Dr. Shulkin elaborates. When you take a look at, at precision medicine and, and uh, you take a look at molecular type research, VA actually started a program called the Million Veterans Program in 2009. And today, VA has the largest database in the country of genomic material of patients we have over 500,000 veterans now in our data registry and, and in our storage tanks in Boston. And we are able to match that genomic data with the electronic medical records that we've had for veterans for 25 or 30 years. And we are doing research studies that no one else in the country can do. As part of this, we're actually helping the Precision Medicine Initiative at NIH get launched. Mm -hmm. And so we have signed a intra-agency agreement with the NIH in order to help support them in their precision medicine initiative. But it's VA today that is leading the country in these types of initiatives. Beyond these important initiatives, we should not forget that there is a nation of hidden heroes out there. In my discussion with Dr. David Shulkin, he recognized the crucial role that family caretakers play. They're partners in helping our veterans as they recover from injury and illness. VA is unique in its role in supporting family caregivers. Uh, we support currently 23,000 caregivers who are helping our veterans throughout the country. And we actually hope to expand that program. And there are some legislative proposals pending that would allow us to do that. 
But these are so critical to the health of our veterans. And if it weren't for these caregivers and our support for them, our veterans may be forced to leave their homes and be put in institutions or be readmitted to hospitals or have to have much more extensive treatment. One of our research programs has demonstrated that people who have caregivers at home are able to access our primary care services and our specialty services more, which means that they're getting the care that they need because of those caregivers, and that's preventing them from having to be in the hospital or in other types of institutions. So we believe this is not only the right thing to do for veterans, we actually think it's the right thing to do also for taxpayers because it's the most economical way of providing the support for veterans that is in their homes. VA is uh, recognizing that people who don't have family members still need caregivers. We are providing home health support and we certainly do not restrict our caregiver program to family members. Um, there needs to be that type of commitment to be in the program and people need to qualify that they're willing to make that commitment, but we recognize that there are many people who can play the role of caregivers. Going from training and education to research, for over 75 years, VA research has been around and doing cutting-edge work in medical and prosthetic devices. Dr. David Shulkin explained what they are actually doing in this area. The VA, besides its great clinical work it does, besides its educational work, also contributes to the country through its research. $1.6 billion a year dedicated solely to research that helps veterans' well-being. There is no other organization that does anything like this. But besides helping veterans, many of the discoveries and research that we do uh, translate into important advances for the rest of American medicine. So the very first liver transplant done in the country was done in a VA. The nicotine patch was developed in, in the VA. The pacemaker, the dialysis machines that keep our renal uh, patients alive, uh, radioaminoassays, um, the work that was done that shows that a aspirin a day may prevent heart attacks. Uh, the lists go on and on, three Nobel Prizes done uh, within the VA system, the work that led to antivirals to prevent um, HIV and hepatitis, much of that work done in the VA system. So. Uh, when uh, people talk about the VA system, I'm not sure they realize that if it wasn't for this type of research, we wouldn't have many of the advances that are existing today for all Americans. Next up, what programs are in place to ensure veterans have access to necessary medical care and services? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour, Leaders Speak on Taking Care of Veterans, returns. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. 
Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, Leaders Speak on Taking Care of Our Veterans. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. For veterans eligible for VA care, VA's goal is to provide them with the care they need at the right time, at the right place, and most importantly, from the right provider. In some cases, veterans may need to receive care from a local community care provider, paid for by VA. Dr. Bali Yahia, who used to lead the VA's office focused on community care, explains this important mission and how it actually works. The Office of Community Care is a critical part of the Veterans Health Administration, and it's about improving the veterans' experience with community care, ensuring that we are good partners for community providers, and making sure that our VA employees that administer these programs uh, really have all the tools they need to be successful. So the heart of it is really, this is VA's office. Um, It's all about partnership. It's VA community care is about creating partnerships with outside providers, hospitals, clinics to build a large network to take care of our veteran population. Uh, As many know, we have veterans that live in every single corner of the United States, and we can't have a brick-and-mortar facility in every location. So our office is all about creating partnerships, uh, I call them highways, to be able to get our veterans uh, in and out of the VA and to a community provider when they need them uh, for certain services or maybe when our services are far away from where they live or for other specific conditions that are unique to services that are provided in the community. So taken together, VA community care really complements the internal VA care delivery system, and together they create a network to service veterans. At VA, we have something called our benefits package, which outlines the different benefits that our veterans can receive. And and for the most part, they can receive those inside or outside. It really depends on the location. Mm -hmm. Uh, In certain parts of the country, we may be more heavily reliant on our community partners. Really, the frontier states or rural America is is a great example of that. In other locations, we might have a very high concentration of clinics and services, and a lot of care may be delivered more through our direct care system. And so it varies from location to location, uh, but the type of services, for the most part, can be found inside and outside. Ensuring access to non-VA community care providers is critically important to the VA system. But it's no small feat, as with everything worth doing, it is fraught with challenges. Dr. Yahia elaborates. For any leader that's in a a large, complicated, uh, complex organization, uh, there's probably some management challenges that overlap. I think for us, it's really ensuring that we are working on improving operational efficiencies today. So you want to make sure that your program is driving forward to deliver the experiences that veterans need, making it easier for community providers to work with us, and make us more efficient in how we do our job. At the same time, uh, we have to. We know we have to design the system of the future. And so I find myself uh, part of the time really working on the in-the-weeds operations, making sure that our operation is running more efficiently. But very, very frequently, I need to be able to step out from that and see where do we need to be three, five, ten years from now, and how do we ensure that we get our stakeholders on board uh, with that idea and push that forward. So I think that's um, really going back and forth between the operations and the strategy. 
also we are faced with a very complex organization and many programs. And that creates a challenge. As, as many folks know, we have about seven to eight different ways of purchasing community care. In my mind, there are seven, eight ways to do the same thing, but they're all different. We also have two different pots of money that we can actually use to purchase and deliver that health care. And so there is a lot of complexity that comes with managing these multiple programs and these different allocations, which is really why, as we look towards the future, uh, we need to consolidate and modernize all of our existing programs so there's really one program for delivering community care and one funding stream for, for purchasing it. That would actually really help not only our frontline staff, but make it a lot easier for anyone that partners with us and for veterans that, that access these different programs. Healthcare is such a fast-moving field. It is not lost on today's VA leaders that they need to be one or two steps ahead of where the industry is going. You have to be one or two steps ahead of where people are going. And so healthcare is such a fast-moving field. And for us, uh, we know that there's evolutions in how community providers or hospital systems outside of the federal government organize themselves. We know there's advancements in different models of care. Uh, there's definitely advancements in different payment models for the delivery of health care. And so our goal is to ensure that we stay contemporary with what's going on and really also try to to push the boundaries of the field of medicine in a very positive way. I think the way that we are integrating VA and community care is a, is a great example. Uh, many healthcare systems today across the country are really looking about how they can strategize and affiliate rather than purchase or, for lack of a better word, take over other different entities and grow and grow and grow. It's more of how do we strategically determine what uh, business we want to be in and what location. And then in order to do more population health, how do we partner or affiliate uh, with other groups to, to do that? And so VA has been in the business of partnership for more than 30 years with different community providers across the country. And I think there's definitely some information transfer that can occur between uh, what we're doing here and what many other healthcare organizations are doing today. Though Dr. Yehia is no longer with VA, he does have insight into the vision that directs the community care efforts of the department. Our vision has always been in line with the secretary's vision, which is really to improve access and the experience of veterans. And so everything that we do revolves around that. And so we have our strategy is to develop one community care program that is easy to understand, simple to administer, and meets the needs of veterans and their families, community providers, and VA staff. That has been the direction we've been driving for. What we've seen in our organization over time is, is True North remains the same, ensuring that veterans have the best experience that they can possibly have uh, with our community care program. But over time, those as we complete projects and move things forward, um, the those specific smaller initiatives may change. Making this complex network system of community providers simple and easy to use is essential for taking care of veterans. While at VA, Dr. Yehia sought to do just that. Well, I'm glad you asked that because since the last time that we talked, I think there's been a lot of progress in that area. We started with a referral process that was very cumbersome and also very manual and paper-based. And and so we are now moving more to leverage more and more technology. Uh, and initially, we were, we were still doing a lot of faxes to community providers. And over the last couple months, we've been, we have deployed and now are increasing uptake of some more of these IT-type ways to deliver referrals through secure emails, through access, through our uh, current community care contract portals, and through various other IT systems. So we are actually trying to make 
the referral process uh, from from a usability perspective much more simple. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is really uh, through some lean methodologies, really look, looking at every single step in the process and determining is, could that step be done differently? Uh, who needs to do that step, and and when when should that step occur? And through that process, we've actually streamlined that a lot and provided that sort of guidance and instruction to all of our medical centers across the country. So, I don't think we're where we want to be yet, but we have definitely taken some um, some good steps forward to automate and to make the referral process easier than was before. I think coming in the future will be even larger leaps as we have um, some things in the works today uh, with some external partners that could uh, that could make this process even easier than what it is today. What can VA do better in taking care of veterans? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour, Leaders Speak, Taking Care of Veterans, returns. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Next week, listen for a special edition of the Business of Government magazine, a year in review with host Michael Keegan as he explores key trends in government management and highlights insights from a host of government executives who are changing the way government does business. That's next week on a special New Year's edition of the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, Leaders Speak on Taking Care of Our Veterans. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. Policy changes can make things better for veterans. The Veterans Access Choice and Accountability Act of 2014, also known as the Choice Act, has sought to do just that. So the Choice Act uh, was an act that was passed, as you said, back in um, 2014. It really was born out of all the different access challenges that the department was facing then. And it provided um, access really to some resources that VA didn't have. Uh, it provided $10 billion that could be used to purchase health care uh, in the community for veterans that met certain eligibility criteria. And then also provided $5 billion to support various workforce and infrastructure initiatives within within VA. We have just really passed the the third year or so of that of that program. I think another important point is really this program was temporary in nature, and mm-hmm. and we can talk about some of the recent law changes that were that have been occurring. Uh, but the program was really set to expire in August of this year, or when the money ran out. And uh, there was a law that was passed earlier in the spring that removed that expiration date and said that now really once the funding is depleted is when the program expires. And just recently, uh, Congress passed uh, additional resources to be given to the choice program 
to the tune of $2.1 billion to continue the program, which will, will provide us with a little bit more runway to continue caring for veterans. The, the Choice Act became just another pathway uh, and another way to send veterans into the community. We've seen a huge increase in the use of choice over the last couple months. And for, for that matter, year upon year upon year, more and more people have been using the program as we've been working through all the different kinks through it. More changes are on the horizon. Dr. Yahia elaborates. So I think the good thing that's occurring right now is um, everyone understands that there there is a, uh, a need, a mandate for change. And so both on uh, with our with our House colleagues and our Senate colleagues and really all of our veteran service organization colleagues, everyone realizes that the the time is now for change. And so um, making sure that we can not not just continue the Choice Act uh, as is in perpetuity, but really transform it and combine it and modernize it with all of our different community care programs. So I think that is a really important point because it is clear that something needs to be done. And so I think sometimes that might even be the hardest thing is to, you know, why do we need to do this? You know, we don't really need to answer that question. I think everyone really knows that the time is now and, and, and the why is that this program has so many different merits but has also so many different kinks. And so there is a need for change. Um, so I think that's important. The second thing that is important among the different proposals that are out there are the fact that they are tackling the key elements that we need them to tackle. And so when we think about our veterans' journey through community care, we know that we need to come up with a simple-to-administer uh, and a single set of eligibility criteria. Every single one of the different proposals is is trying to do that. Uh, we know that our referral processes need to be simpler. We know we need to have flexibility in how we build and design uh, networks and, and how we partner with community providers to not only ensure that we, we pay them on time, but that we also are able to exchange information easily. So all of those different key elements are, are being addressed. Some are being tackled in different ways. And so uh, ultimately what we need to do is to to build that consensus um, and to share with our stakeholders what has our experience been. And for me, I'm a very uh, data-driven individual. I like to look at what's occurring, what's working, what's not, and really put it out there. We want to take the best elements of all these different programs and to move them forward. I think today, when I think of all the seven, eight different ways of doing business, not one of them is the best way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each of them has different features. We just talked about Arch. Their, I think, claim to fame is that care coordination pathway, which is really excellent. When I think about Choice and PC3, one of the major advantages is that uh, by having contract partners, we have access to to data about utilization and um, and are more easily able to track uh, some of these key statistics to make decisions about population health. That's an important feature. Uh, our traditional community care programs, uh, a lot of the work is being done locally at 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 that local facility or in that local community. So they know, they have those key relationships and they know if this doctor offers this service or not. And that's important. And so we really want to take all these different key elements and put them together and to move the ball forward. Moving the ball forward means delivering the best care to the nation's veterans anytime, anywhere, especially when it's urgent care. We think that, uh, you know, ultimately we want to ensure that veterans have access to high-quality care. And and for me, it's important to ensure that they have them at the right time in the right location and, and from the right individual. Uh, we are working um, today 
on how we can do that. And one of those avenues, I think, is through uh, walk and care, urgent care benefits. And uh, the secretary and myself have talked about this idea uh, in front of uh, Congress on, on more than one occasion. And it's really about creating a system or a network of, of walk-in services for veterans um, that they can access when they need you know, something minor routine. Uh, it's not meant to replace primary care. I think that's an important thing. Urgent care or walk-in clinics really are for those minor aches and illnesses and injuries and less so for you know the chronic management of, of diseases like diabetes or hypertension or anything like that. It rounds out the different access points that someone can have. So when you think about the continuum of uh, access, you know, you think about, you know, ER care on one extreme where you have a very emergent condition and you go to see an ER doctor. Uh, Walking care is probably just a little bit um, next to that. And then uh, routine care inside clinics or getting hospitalized, uh, telehealth. There's all these different different points that someone can interact with the healthcare system. What we're trying to do is is to provide more of those different access points. So what it does is a couple things. Number one is that by having these different options, you start to, thinking on a population health level, mm-hmm. ensure that patients are getting care in the right setting and the right venue. Um, multiple studies have been done that, you know, if you're going to the ER care for primary care, that's an expensive way to deliver primary care. Uh, similarly, if you're going to the ER, you know, because you have you stub your toe or something like that, that might not be the most effective uh, use of of resources, not only for that individual but for for that entire community. And so, by by thinking about uh, walk and care and urgent care, it's really about providing another access point along the continuum that hopefully not only provides convenience for our patients, but also will be create some cost efficiencies because they're going to the right care setting for the right type of care that they need. The right type of care for veterans involves partnering with the right community care providers, the best care providers. This is very important because we have, there's all kinds of different providers uh, in the United States, and we need to ensure that we're able to identify those that maybe have specific expertise in one area. And especially for us, you know, taking care of the veteran population, there's certain things that mean a lot uh, to our veterans and certain conditions that are unique to our population. So it's not just identifying those that are delivering the high-quality care, which is definitely an element of that, but also starting to think about what are the providers that are that are skilled and trained in military cultural competency that really have experience managing some of the more prevalent conditions in the veteran population, like you know PTSD or traumatic brain injury or or those um, the the connection between the primary care and the mental and mental health care and behavioral health care, um, and those are just a few or a few options of how do you. Not only ensure that they're that we're partnering with the best cardiologists that exist in town, but also those cardiologists that have a commitment to taking care of veterans are interested in, in learning about um, how to do that well and have taken steps to um, to educate themselves and their practice to create an environment that's welcoming and conducive to our patients. And so um, that's really is is our gold standard. And we are we are now working with different providers and our network partners across the country to to try to identify that and, and to um, and to build those key relationships with them. And so I think it's important. And, and part of it is really is also, in my mind, transparency. It's one 
a, a, a certain provider may best meet the needs of one person and another provider may best meet the needs of another person. And so what we want to do is not, um, not just limit it to these different providers, but really to provide and reflect back that information to our patients so they are the ones that make that informed choice about who they want to see. So in our goal and the way that I view myself as well as a doctor is to is to be able to provide advice to my patient on, you know, in my medical opinion, what I think uh, would be the best pathway, but really work with them in partnership to make that decision. A 21st century model of community care is integral to a high-performing, integrated healthcare system like VA? Sure. I think that's a good question because sometimes it gets used and not everyone understands what it means. And let me just break it apart. Let's talk about the integrated first. This is a concept that we're working here in VA, but in, in all honesty, it's, it's in the entire kind of practice of medicine. As we move in the era of value-based payments and really ensuring that that we're taking care of not only the individual, but the population, the community that they live in, uh, and that payments are being tied to producing good outcomes, not just producing widgets or volume, it becomes even more important to integrate. And by integration, we mean it's very rare and to, to never that one institution, whether it's a, in the federal sector or the private sector, can just do everything for that entire community. It's very hard and impractical to do that, to provide all types of services from beginning of life to end of life, all the supporting services that are required for anyone with with social issues, uh, from housing to transportation to education. It's very hard to put all of that together in one package and be able to consistently deliver it at a high level and in every single location. And so when you think about that, it just, you really, it's very hard to do that. And so instead, um, what might be more effective is figuring out how to create strategic partnerships and then integrate care. And so there might be a group of individuals or, or clinics or, or hospitals or, or partners that are responsible for, for one thing, another for something else. And then you create a little bit of that connections between them so that together they are taking uh, care of that patient, that individual, and that entire market area or that entire population or that entire community. So that's the idea of integration. It's really integrating care inside with care outside, and not just care, but also the specific services that someone may have to produce health and wellness. And like I said, you know, we are um, we are really spearheading a lot of this in the VA, but many different uh, institutions across the country are also thinking about that. A term that is often used is clinically integrated network or CIN. It's you might see it uh, around. Now let's talk about the word high performing. High performing really is an indication that we want that system to be humming. You know, there's, you know, the challenges of healthcare today, and and this is true for us as for anyone else is is really is that coordination as a patient moves in and out from providers or from different locations, making sure that their information travels with them. Uh, that every single person they're seeing knows their entire health history is hard. And so what we want is a high-performing integrated network, um, a network that is able to ensure that those highways connections between different doctors and partners exist and that the partners that we are working with are delivering the highest quality care and we are we are achieving the maximum wellness that we can for our patients. So those are the two terms and what it means together. 
and again, to be frank, we're not there yet. We are driving towards a high-performing network, but we are starting to put the pieces in play to get us to where we need to be. What does the future of community care look like at VA? I think community care really, in, in my mind, is is a little bit of what we talked about, is how do we get to that that integrated system? And I really do think that in many areas of community care, we are testing different models that are really ahead of their ahead of their time for for all of uh, for all the healthcare field. How do you really get these direct care affiliates and partnered care support services, health information? How do you put all that stuff together uh, in a package and, and are able to do it as smoothly as possible so that it's efficient, it's effective, and ultimately you're producing the health outcomes and and the experiences that that patients need. So, you know, in VA, about a third of our appointments are outside of our walls. So we are on this large national scale really testing out these different care models and pathways and, and way to integrate care that I think will be very helpful for the rest of American medicine as they go along their journey as well of how to, how to deliver that. So I think, you know, what I see as the future is really this seamless care delivery where you can go from one institution to another, your healthcare information is portable, it's very clear to you where you go and, and who you're seeing and any cost share responsibilities that you may have. It's easy for our partners to to know where, where to send their bills. They have assurances that they're going to get processed in a timely fashion. And, and all throughout that, um, people are happy, they're delighted, they're satisfied with their experience, and they are, um, they're getting the high-quality care that they need. So that's really what, we are, what, we're, what we're striving for. The mission of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs was born from the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, to care for him who shall born the battle, and for his widow and orphan. VA works to deliver on that promise of a grateful nation in the form of quality care that veterans have earned through their service and sacrifices. Although the covenant with veterans is immutable, health care evolves, and so must the VA. Today, the triple aim for better health, better care, and better value represents the aspiration of all healthcare systems. But the breadth of VA and its services offers a unique ability to address health in the broadest sense of well-being, taking care of those who have given so much to this nation. Thanks for joining me on this special edition of the Business of Government Hour. Leaders speak on taking care of veterans and exploring the mission of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Be sure to join me next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. and Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Next week, listen for a special edition of the Business of Government magazine, a year in review with host Michael Keegan as he explores key trends in government management and highlights insights from a host of government executives who are changing the way government does business. That's next week on a special New Year's edition of the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.